0: I am really glad that you are here tonight, and can we just take one quick moment and say thank you to Paige and to Rowan one more time, right as they're walking in. We couldn't have timed that any better, Paige. That is awesome. I'm really glad that you're here tonight. If you are new to Overflow, uh, this is a perfect night (laughs) to come, baptism is one of our very favorite things around here. One of the things that we've been saying, uh, the more conversations that we've been diving into about baptism over the past couple weeks, Jake, Jenna, and I, uh, is baptism really is one of the most relational things that we do as a ministry, and you see uh, the fruit of that tonight and hearing their story, and we got to have dinner with them last night, and it really was just a special moment for us to be together, uh, to love each other, to care for each other, And so I just encourage you, if you've ever been feeling in your heart or in your mind that baptism is a step that you feel like God is calling you to take, or you just have questions about what baptism even means, I invite you to talk to us tonight or some point this semester. We would love to talk with you about that. If this is your first night at Overflow, uh, we are in part three. Of a series on mental health. Uh, we call conversations around here series. It just means that we talk about uh, the same kind of idea for a, a certain amount of weeks in the semester. We've called it Take Heart, uh, coming out of John 16, which we're gonna cover that in a little bit, uh, where Jesus invites us, invites the people of the world uh, to take heart because of his victory. And in that, he gives us a promise that we're going to experience trouble in the world. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit here in a few minutes, but the thing that I just don't wanna blow past, and the thing that I just wanna put in front of you tonight as we kind of take the Take Heart series and our conversation uh, on Tuesday nights about mental health, as we, we kind of land the plane, if you will, on that tonight, I just want you to know that this series, that this conversation has been so impactful to me because of the conversations and the friendships that have been born out of the content on Tuesday nights. The first week, we talked about how we are hardwired. We are built from the factory overflow for connection. And we've got to practice vulnerability if we're gonna lay a foundation for victory. Those were two of the main points that we really ran through the first night of the conversation. Last week, we talked about the vast importance of thinking your thoughts and taking your thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ with Maddie and Mike. And the thing that I just want to put in front of you tonight is that we believe, our church believes, our whole staff team, our whole intern, believe, our intern team believes that the church should be the safest place for conversations to take place. That is why we have gone head first into this conversation, because we want the conversation around mental health to happen in the church. We believe that in the church, especially in this church, you are going to be loved you're not gonna be judged, you're gonna be supported, you're gonna be pointed to practical resources. One thing that we talked about uh, over the past two weeks is a hopeful, holistic approach that we're not just gonna tell you, oh, just start trusting God and all of a sudden your mental health struggles will dissolve. We wanna give you tools, we wanna give you practical resources and we're gonna talk about some of those tonight. So I just want you to be really, really clear that we believe that the church should be A safe place for these conversations to take place. I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story about a really great friend of mine. His name is Alan, and he has been a mentor of mine uh, for what feels like my entire life. It really has been just a couple of years that I've known him really really closely, and he is the kind of a guy, I don't know if you guys have people in your life like this, but he's kind of the guy for me when I'm struggling and I'm having a hard day, when I'm feeling like I'm in kind of the pit of despair, when I'm kind of processing uh, my own struggle with insecurity or depression. He's one of the first people that I call uh, because his advice is so helpful. And a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, I should say, I called him, said, Alan, I, I would love to get breakfast. And or I shot him a text and said, I'd love to get breakfast. And he said, um, boy, I'll drop anything for you. Let's go in the morning. And he picked a place and we went. And in that conversation, we covered, it felt like all of the issues of the world. But I remember uh, just in the way that he talks, when I, when I just said that, he, he starts almost every sentence that he's like telling you something serious with, boy, it's like the granddad that you never you never had or you never knew you needed so bad. Uh, that was that he is that to me. He said, Boy, I just want you to know a couple things. And the first thing that he said to me that really resonated with me, and this is the best way that I can remember, we can put it on the screen, is Boy, don't forget who you are. And I was like, Alan, I came here for like something practical, bro. Like I I need, I need something that I can apply. And he's like, No. Don't forget who you are. And that's the idea tonight. As I'm saying to you, boy, girl, don't forget who you are. And if you are having questions right now about who it is that you are, I promise you that you are not alone. And I'll go first and tell you, I have questions about who I am. And that's why these conversations Are so important. Two things that I want to promise uh, to help lead through tonight. If you're taking notes, you can kind of create two sections uh, for these two ideas. One is I want to clarify our identity, and two, I want to provide a path to resiliency. And I think resiliency is so, so important. And Brene Brown has been a a hero of mine and has been a place that I've done an immense amount of research for the content of the series. And she talks a lot about shame resiliency and the importance of it because our culture is largely governed by shame. And that is why the conversation around mental health has been so complex for so long because it carries with it a truckload of shame wherever it goes. So what we wanna do is provide a path That we find in the Bible, that we find find rooted in who God is to building resiliency. That doesn't mean that I expect us all to leave here tonight going, I'm 100% resilient and I'm 100% confident in my identity. I just mean this is the next step and the process that we're on. I asked a really close friend of mine uh, to help me do some like research for Uh, this series, and I just asked her to go through and list out a lot of different thoughts that she had about mental health. In fact, like one day I was like, hey, uh, just write down anything and send it to me. She was like, "I I need a little bit more help than that. I love just kind of opening to questions. But she sent me back like nine pages where she had written in her journal and she just took like photocopies of it. And something that she wrote on the last page has stuck with me ever since I read it. And I I highlighted it and circled it and starred it and was like, I can't, I can't miss this. And she said, it's very hard to accept the truth. And I think, if you're anything like me, if you're anything like the conversations I've had over the past couple of days, this statement rings really, really true. Because you could come to Overflow on Tuesday, you could come to church on Sunday, you could come to community group on Thursday, You could sit in class and learn about what's true, but accepting what's true, truly taking on and receiving what's true, that is hard. And I wanna be sensitive to that. And I want that to help really provide the handles and provide the context for where we are going over the next few minutes. And I do want to start with something that it's very, very sensitive. And it's very, very heavy. And I do not want to make light of what I'm about to talk about. Last Monday, as I was prepping for the conversation that we had last Tuesday, a friend of mine, and before we put this on the screen, I wanna kinda give you a little bit of a preface to it. A friend of mine sent me a text. And I had actually run into her a couple weeks before in Barnes & Noble's where I was buying a stack of books that I was gonna read to research for this series. And we started talking about mental health, and we talked about the importance of it being talked about, and we talked about where we were kind of where we were going. And so she had context for where we are at Overflow right now. And she texted me last Monday um, this text in this picture. We can go ahead and put it on the screen. Not sure you saw this story yesterday, but it's heartbreaking. Chesley Chris was Miss America in 2019, and on January the 30th, she took her own life. This is why this matters. Because someone who seemingly had it all, who had money, who had family, who had support, and when you do a Google search, of her life and of the news reports following it, it'll really kind of make you sick. As I was looking back through it today, all of the people's comments and thoughts about it and their opinions and things that they think that they need to add to the conversation, here's what's important. This can't keep happening. You are too important. You have intrinsic value. Your purpose is secure. And I would hate for any student to feel alone who's struggling with the the ideation of self-harm or suicide. One of the things that we said on week one was that counseling should be celebrated. We rooted that in something that Paul said, and the fact that we've got to build each other up. So I wrote down three things that I just said, I I want to talk about these on Tuesday night because I believe that they're important. The first one is everybody needs and deserves help. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Everyone needs and deserves help. The second thing, success doesn't make you healthy. You will never make enough money to feel mentally healthy. You will never be famous enough to feel mentally healthy. Watch the Taylor Swift Miss Americana or Miss America documentary on Netflix. She talks about her walk with mental health. Somebody who additionally has it all, who has crushed it in every sense. Success doesn't make you healthy. And the third thing, that I really want us to leave with tonight, is mere proximity doesn't equal connection. This is really, really important to me. And I don't know how else to show this to you, except for this. I could sit, I'm serious, I could sit in this room every Tuesday night, surrounded by 600 people, and feel like I'm connected. I could sit here, with my Bible, I could take notes. Hey, I, 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 could, I could stand here and worship. I could raise my hands. I could, I could seek to believe. I could take 18 pages of notes and say hello to somebody on the host team on the way in and participate in the meet and greet and still not be connected. We cannot confuse proximity to connection. And I'm not trying to be dramatic about this by coming out here, but I want you to see this because this is you. Look around the room, you have people. I will give you my cell phone number because I want you to be connected. I want you to be supported. I want you to have a safe place, I'm coming back. I want want you to have a safe place to be vulnerable. And when we said week one, vulnerability is the foundation for victory, we meant that and we want to receive that. I talked to a guy today who's a counselor in Wilmington and I said, hey Rob, Will you help us? We need more counselors for our college students. And he said, absolutely. More than half of the people, more than half of the people that he sees are college students. And we're talking about a way to chart a, a partnership forward of how to make sure that that doesn't happen, that we don't walk in this room, that we don't participate in this church and feel like we're connected, that we participate in the church and we are connected because proximity, mere proximity, doesn't mean real, genuine, life-changing formation connection. So that's just my hot take of the night because I feel so strongly about that and I read the articles and I see the pictures We have a meeting on Tuesday nights at 6.30 with our band and with our production team, and I've almost cried every single week in them because I've thought about people that I know that are struggling and that are hurting. And Jesus told us, he said, in this world you're gonna have trouble, but take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And what we are up against is immense. And my friend the other day sent me this document. (coughs) Sorry about that. That went down the wrong way. Oh, goodness. My friend sent me an article the other day that said the top three things that were diagnosed on college campuses were anxiety, depression, and stress. And I'm not gonna lie to you, that word stress getting introduced into the conversation was really helpful for me. Because it's it's sometimes simple to talk about, oh, people struggle with anxiety or they struggle with depression or they struggle with something that may be labeled as a bigger topic or a bigger idea. And then when you and I feel stressed, it's like, oh, well, that's just because we have a lot of homework. But what that begins to do day in and day out is we begin to learn to get comfortable with it. And all of a sudden, we're living high-level stress lives and we haven't done anything to mitigate it. So three things about stress, about trauma, and about shame. First, stress feeds anxiety and depletes energy. And everybody said, amen. I feel that. Like, believe me, like going into tonight, I was feeling a little stressed about some things. And that depleted some of my energy. Trauma produces guilt, and it steals hope. And just a couple things about trauma really quick. If somebody has done something to you that you are living in trauma from, hear me really clearly, it is not your fault. What has been done to you is not your fault. No way, no shape, no how. It is not your fault. Now it is your life, and we wanna help you recover your life, and we wanna help you find the hope that trauma might have stolen, and we are committed to doing that with you. The third thing: shame creates isolation and distorts identity. And when you begin to dig into the research behind shame and behind trauma, the well goes very, very deep. And the the statistics around men and shame are staggering. We often think about shame as something that primarily women deal with, but we all deal with it. And shame takes so many different forms and so many different ways does it apply itself to who we are, which brings me to this idea that the war for our mind is personal, it's unique, it's tailored directly to you. We believe that there is a force of evil, there is a force of darkness in the world. We classify it as the enemy. We talked about this week one. He gets personal, he knows who you are. He can tailor things specifically to you and it's persistent. We know this, we wake up in the morning and we feel stress, we feel trauma, we think about talking about it and shame says, no, don't talk about that, you're broken, you're always gonna feel this way. That eating disorder, that's gonna be in your life for the rest of your life. That struggle with anxiety, shame says, it's not going anywhere. That thing you did that you don't feel like you could ever be forgiven from, no, that's, that's who you are. That's, that's woven into the strand of your DNA. All of those are lies, but we believe them every day. I believe them because it's so much easier it's so much easier to, to believe something that's negative than it is to believe something that's positive. It's, the, it's how our culture is built. The undercurrent of our culture is stress. That's why they call it city life for a reason. They like moves so fast, and it's constantly going, 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 going. We've got to do the work to begin to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. And in Luke chapter 8, there is this fascinating story about where Jesus is walking, and a lady walks up to Jesus and his people, and she has been bleeding for multiple years, and no one in the community wants to be around her. And she reaches out and touches Jesus' robe, and Jesus turns around to her, someone who is filled with shame, with trauma, and with stress, with isolation, with loneliness, she so struggles probably with it all due to her condition. What's the first thing that he says to her? Daughter, you are my daughter. There is nothing that Jesus wouldn't have done for her. And if you know the story, he heals her, and it's now proven to be a perfect picture for us. When you experience shame, when you experience trauma, when you experience stress, anxiety, Jesus is looking at you. Not with shame, not with judgment, not glossing it over as just figure it out. He says, daughter, my son, I care for you. And that sounds awesome. And that sounds like something that we could all apply. But what we know, when we look at research, we find that we think around 6,200 thoughts, 200 thoughts per day. This stuff is fascinating. And they say that 80% of those thoughts are negative and then 95% of those thoughts are repeated. This is what we're up against. 6,200 thoughts per day, how do we begin? How do we begin to say this thought needs to come underneath the authority of daughter and of son when there's 6,200 of them? And for some of us, we think 10,000 thoughts a day, and some of us think 4,000 thoughts a day. Everybody's different. But I think the big takeaway for this is that this is why this is why our approach has got to be holistic. There is not one size fits all kind of a thing that just automatically works for everybody, which is why we're talking about identity and resiliency. I was thinking about the cycle of what we go through when we think about our struggle and we think about stress, and I wrote down a couple words, and I feel like this is kind of the cycle of what it looks like. We start feeling stress. And then we go to, okay, now we've got a struggle that we don't exactly know how to deal with. And then we feel shame about the struggle and about the stress. And then we feel isolated because shame says that's always gonna be your reality and no one really cares. And then we find ourselves in despair. We talked about this on week one, that the complete absence or loss of hope where the left-hand side of the brain and the right-hand side of the brain begin to pull apart. And you have scientifically um, described as shame or despair, and then we find ourselves feeling lonely, and then we feel like we hit rock bottom. We're like, which way is up? How do I move from where I am here to begin to believing in the identity that we're suggesting that God has for us? I think that this is so important because oftentimes what we feel in rock bottom what we feel underneath all of those different labels, and for you, it probably happens in a different order. I'm not trying to make a big deal about the order. The point is, when we're at rock bottom, is oftentimes the place that we begin to believe things about who we are. And we can't afford for that to be our reality because your current reality does not determine your identity the thing that you are struggling with, the thing that you see in the mirror every morning when you look at yourself and say, will I ever move past this? Will I ever become self-sufficient in my thought life? Will I ever overcome this? That does not have the authority to be your identity. It never has, and it should never be given that authority. Jesus came to change everything about how we relate to him, how we see God, Emmanuel, God with us. And he wants to tell you that where you are right now doesn't get authority because of the authority that he claimed in his life here on earth. If you turn to Hebrews 12 in your Bible, uh, if you have it with you, if you don't, I would grab your phone and highlight where we're going to be because this is a great thing to come back to and to read over and over again because this is a Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. This is a verse in a section of the Bible that is read quite a lot. And a lot of times it's read in a way of, this is really simple. And I don't want you to hear me say that tonight. The writer of Hebrews is calling us into uncharted territory in a lot of ways. And what they write and they call us to do is incredibly complex. We can go ahead and put this on the screen. Verse one, chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's stop right there for just a second. The first sentence is so important. Such a great cloud of witnesses comes Um, It's it's referring to what came right before it in the text, in the book, in chapters 10 and 11. There's a thing that some people call the Hall of Fame, uh, where the writer of Hebrews goes through all of these different heroes of the Old Testament stories of the faith that began to lay the foundation uh, that would end up bringing Jesus onto the scene. It's people like Moses who led the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, through uh, the sea to victory of inevitably through 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. Talks about all kinds of different people who said, I'm gonna do what is hard. I'm gonna follow God. It's not always going to be easy. But when we look at them, a pattern that we see is they had to be in the constant rhythm of throwing off the things that hindered them. I love that easily entangles is put into this because I think that it can help us feel a little bit less guilty about the things that we struggle with. It's a preface in the Bible that this life isn't easy. Living in the way of Jesus isn't always easy. But that doesn't make it not worth doing. The writer goes on. And let us run with perseverance the, the race marked out for us. I love this because it's like, you can do it. And don't hear me wrong. This is not what I was talking about week one where it's like, just pull up your boots by your, you know, your pants by your bootstraps and just figure it out and just, just start feeling healthy. This is like, no, the race that you're about to run this thing called life, this thing, this idea of following Jesus, it's going to take perseverance. It's going to take work, but it will be worth it. And I, in the research and kind of digging down beneath the surface of this idea, I found this, this idea, this, this acronym to the word THINK uh, from Dr. Chinway Williams' book. She is a, um, a counselor in Atlanta. Uh, mutual friends of mine. I think we're actually gonna have her come on the Overfoot podcast over the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but she puts forth this acronym that her and her co-author found, I'm not sure where, but I'm giving them credit for it tonight. <laughs> she said that we need to use this idea that of, in the way of how we begin to say, that's not worthy of my thought life. That's not worthy of real estate in my mind. T for true. If it's not true, it doesn't get weight. If it's not helpful, it doesn't get space in our mind. If it's not inspiring, if it's not necessary, and if it's not kind. I especially love the word kind here because we're all really, really good at thinking unkind thoughts about who we are or about how we look or about how we said that thing or how we participated in that class or about our mental struggle. And this is such a perfect picture where Jesus is saying, through scripture, it's not Jesus's direct words, but we can can take it from God. Hey, throw off everything that hinders and that so easily entangles. What's a method to do that? What's true? What's helpful? What's inspiring? What's necessary? And what's kind? Those are the headings that we allow thoughts to come underneath. Are we gonna be perfect every single time? I know I'm not, but I think that that's a really practical way that we can apply what the writer of Hebrews is calling us into, and not just in the idea of, oh, just chuck it off, it'll be easy, just get rid of it, because we need help, we need a system. I would write that in your journal, And if you don't have a journal, I would go to the Connect Center tonight and get a journal, we'll give you one for free. And write those things down and start capturing your thoughts on paper and asking yourself, is this thought, is this idea, is this self-assessment worth me keeping? And put it through the test. The writer of Hebrews goes on, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is such a beautiful invitation to practice hope. That what Jesus did He handled it. He said, hey guys, I got it. I'm gonna go remove the very thing that could ever separate you from your father in heaven who calls you son, who calls you daughter. Which leads us to this idea that hope fundamentally does change us. When we begin to think about hopeful things. We begin to point our eyes to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The one who came and said, I got it. I am stepping in the gap for you. I have your back. College student who will be at overflow in 2022. This one's on me. I got it. I am for you. And again, I love, I love when you begin to dig into Scripture and you begin to see the way that God moves throughout the story of the Bible. We see that God is not opposed to science or to psychology. After all, if we believe God made us, then he made our wiring and he made our brains. And one thing that we were talking about when it comes to counseling on week one is when we are sick, When our stomach hurts or we think we might have COVID, we go to the doctor. We go ask somebody for help that knows what they're talking about. God wants you to do the same thing when you've got a mental struggle or a mental thought that you're like, I don't know how to mitigate this. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to process this. We can use the people that God has been raising up and investing in who are studying how we think and how our brains work. And Dr. Caroline Leaf is somebody who wrote a fascinating book, and she wrote this. She said, thoughts are real, physical things, that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you are changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. And when we hope, it is an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal way direction, hope changes us. Even if, even if we can just have a little baby's breath of hope, even if we can just have a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. And what does that mean? It means us taking on our new identity. But the reality is, is the perfection runs a solid defense to this. When we don't feel like we are perfect, when we mess up, when we look at that thing on the internet, when we talk to that person in such a way that is not kind and is not helpful, when we think about our anxiety or we think about our depression or we think about our ideation around hurting ourselves and we don't feel like we're perfect, it's so easy to revert back into the cycle And allow shame to continue to speak lies and speak authority into your life that it does not deserve. So we've got to reframe how we see perfection before we solidify the part of the conversation tonight around our identity. The absence of perfection does not signify defeat. It just reminds us that God is not done. God has been working to redeem the world since the very, very beginning. And he's been using people. To do it every step of the way. But we get caught up in thinking God's mad, God's frustrated because we haven't lived the perfect, ideal life. And we think that that must mean that we've been defeated. But I think there's another way to see it that when we don't feel like we measure up, when we don't feel like we checked all the boxes, we can give ourselves grace. And remember, God is still working to redeem us and to make us whole again. In John 16, we find the, the core idea behind the series and we, we said in the beginning, but I would love to read it together and just put it on the screen and I would love for you to capture this. And I think it even would be a good thing for you to put somewhere where you see it consistently Because this helps us get that little bit of a glimmer of hope. Because I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows. But, one of the best words in the Bible, take heart. Why? Because you're gonna figure it out? Because you're gonna be perfect on your own power? No. Jesus says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. The ultimate invitation to have hope. Jesus says, I see what you're going through. I just went through it for 33 years. I felt all of the human emotions. I felt all of the pressures in this world. I've seen the depravity and the brokenness of the world. But don't forget, I told you this so that you would have peace in me. Jesus is saying that he is the only place, he is the only person worthy of giving you identity. He is the only source good enough to build resiliency. If we're gonna be resilient, and what I mean by that is able to go through this life and experience the trials and experience the sorrows and experience the struggles that we have with our mental health, if we're gonna go through this life and come out on the other side, we've got to know, we've got to believe that Jesus is saying, hey, I wanna help you be resilient. I wanna help you get back up off the floor. I wanna help you navigate your struggle. Why? Because you're a son or a daughter of the Most High. God wants more than anything, I believe, to leverage His victory to build your resiliency. Our resiliency is not built on the columns of perfection, it's found in the breath in Jesus' lungs on that third day when He said, Death and shame and sin and the trials and the sorrows of this world, you no longer have authority here because I conquered you. And therefore, for all of my children, I'm inviting them to carry my victory. And if you really left with one thing tonight, I would hope that you would write down or you would text it to yourself in your phone. Just three very simple words. God's not God is alive, I believe he's working, I believe he wants to do something new in your life, I believe he wants to renew your strength, his joy comes in the morning, his mercies are new in the morning. Paul says that we are more than conquerors. We know that God is love. and God wants to give you absolutely everything that he has. Just like what Alan told me at breakfast that morning, don't forget who you are. You are a son and you are a daughter of the Most High. As I was thinking about landing this series and landing this conversation at Overflow, I just started writing one day and I came up with a couple of sentences and I put them into a paragraph and said, what if this was our declaration? As we think about our mental health, as we continue the conversation in and around overflow and a lot of different capacities, what if this could be how we navigate this? What, could, what if this could be our rallying cry? And I tried to whittle it down to around 110 words. We can put this on the screen. I'd love to read it together. It says, as for us, at Overflow. Mental health matters because everyone matters. We believe that we belong together, which means we must embrace connection and pursue vulnerability. We seek to trust that our identity is secure in the life of Jesus and that there is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from the love God has for us. We are committed to not struggling alone and we believe getting help should always be celebrated. Suicide is not an option, and shame should never be given authority. While the future may not be certain, we must hold on to each other's hands and take heart, because Jesus has overcome the world. Would you stand with me as we get ready to end our time together declaring that reality, declaring that Jesus truly has overcome the world. And notice the wording in that, seek to believe. If you're not there yet, if you're on the fence or maybe you're not even nowhere close or nowhere near the fence where you're struggling, you're like this whole God idea, this Jesus idea, talking a lot about identity and a lot about resiliency and I I don't really connect with it and I don't know what I believe. We just pray, we hope that we can extend a hand, that we can give you unconditional support in every moment and in every day of your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for tonight and thank you for your words. Thank you for telling us that in this world, we're gonna have trouble. But thank you so much for what comes after that. An invitation to take heart, to have courage, to allow you to grow resiliency in us because you have overcome the world. God, I pray for the person in this room tonight or online right now, who's just hurting. They feel lonely questioning if somebody cares. God, I pray tonight that in some crazy way that they would just feel that you know their name and that you call them daughter and that you call them son and that you love them with everything that you are. God, thank you for this conversation and for the willingness of overflow to just walk week by week and day by day through it. God, I pray that hope would be born in this room tonight. And I pray we would take our eyes and we would lift them towards you and trust what you have to say about us. God, we love you. We say this in the name of Jesus.